Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Welcome back to the Victor Mark Show. Today is part two of my interview with former Fox News reporter Holly McKay. Holly has spent many years reporting on war zones in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan. She brings a very intriguing perspective to the topics of war in the Middle East, the threat of ISIS, and the horrors that the victim of ISIS are facing. Holly, welcome back to today's second show featuring you. And we are very honored to have you on the program. Thank you for coming back. Thanks, Victor. It's lovely to be here. But hey, let's pick up from where we left off yesterday. You're no longer a reporter for Fox, but you're still doing other reporting. Um, And I know you focused your efforts on the humanitarian sides of things a lot more now. And people can find out more about that in your incredible new book, Only Cry for the Living. Can you tell us about that book project and how that came about? So I was working a lot in the Middle East, going back and forth, uh, just sort of uh, doing reporting, collecting information. And I knew I wanted to write something that was a little bit different to what you see in the news. I wanted to tell these stories in a different way. I wasn't quite sure what how that was going to be. And so it had been a few years and I kind of came back to my apartment and I just saw piles of these notebooks because I'm very old school and I write everything down. I use a notebook. I, I'm not very sort of technological advanced in that sense. And then it was really going through a lot of those notebooks one night. And I thought, you know what, this is how it needs to be. It really does need to be these individual stories because it's these individual stories that don't make the news. Mm. And it's these people that for them, just having their story told is the only time they're ever going to get accountability. They know that nothing is ever going to, nobody's going to pay to rebuild their house. Uh, the terrorist who took their child is probably never going to be caught or, or anything is going to happen there. So in telling their stories, that to me, you know, it, it felt like that was the role that I could play in, in being a vessel of, of some sort. So that's sort of how it came about. And so it was just a real labor of love of chronologically going back through all these notebooks and, and trying to decipher my very legible handwriting and, and just drawing out those stories. And that's why it is called memos because each of it sort of is a memo. It's a, it's a different uh, piece uh, in a chronological sense. And I wanted to also tell things from every possible perspective. So obviously a lot of the work I do is in the humanitarian level. So I am speaking to a lot of survivors and and people that have just really been through the worst of what humankind can do to each other. So I wanted to tell their stories, but I also felt that it was very important to tell the, the stories of the background of a lot of the terrorists I was interviewing or a lot of the different military people that I was interviewing and, and people in Iraq and Syria and the United States and, and wherever it was, because I think one thing we lack is sort of this very comprehensive look at a situation. And that's sort of what I wanted to bring to the table is this, what is going through these people's heads. And especially when it comes to say the terrorists, for example, we often want to put them in a very one dimensional box and we want to sort of see them just as, as pure evil and, and, and the other person is as pure good. And it's just, it's not that simple. And so I think there's a real need for, for writers or, or journalists to, to somehow sort of be that, that interluder, that, that vessel to, to tell the full picture. 
boy, that's it's so true. And I remember the first night uh, I actually spoke with an ISIS fighter, and it was in the middle of a bunch of fighting. He just got captured. We were recovering a young boy who's, you know, parents were murdered. And I didn't have a lot of love loss for ISIS fighters. Uh, and here I am face to face with them. And I remember asking God for grace and because I could have easily put a bullet in his head, but that's not what I was there to do. Uh, you know, people I was with and teams we put together, we, we only took uh, self-defense measures by and large. But I remember looking at him and I said, hey, uh, do you have a family? And he was kind of stunned. His hands are behind his back. And he was, yes. I said, tell me about your wife. Do you have any children? Yeah. And we had a long conversation just on what we did have in common, right? And and I asked him in all sincerity, why, why did you join ISIS? And he said his brother joined first, and he just felt the pressure. So he joined next. But he did some very horrible things. I asked him, I said, what would you want me to tell young men thinking about joining ISIS? It was very interesting, his response, Holly. He said, tell them not to come to the darkness. And I was stunned that after his time with ISIS uh, and just been captured, he really looked back and said, it's just dark. So, you know, we have a great passion to do counter messaging mm -hmm. and to reach those who might be suspect for being radicalized. I was just in a juvenile prison in Iraq on this last pump. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago. And certainly, definitely one of the young men was an ISIS uh, fella. So much anger and hate. You know, you don't know my story. Uh, but it's what I share with them, which is about injustice and anger and hatred and also redemption, that no matter what you've been through, uh, no matter what's been unfair, God can redeem it if you don't give up. And there are many different ways to give up, right? Turn toward radicalization, uh, hate and kill people that you don't even know. But it was a powerful time. And... Um, I remember one young man, another time I was in an Iraqi youth prison, which I was the first American white person to go in. They were like, why do you want to come in here? I said, because I care. I care. I, I care about these young men, regardless of their crimes. And six months after I went in and had shared, a young man on Instagram through direct messaging said, hey, do you remember me? I was in the youth prison. And he goes, thank you for showing us love. Wow. And he goes, I work construction and I'm, I'm going to do right. So, I mean, isn't that part of our goal, Holly, is it's, it's not about the winning. It's about changing hearts. Mm. It's about, you know, stopping the cycles of craziness. And, I, and I'll just I'll say this for our listeners right now. The number of young people displaced in camps that don't go to school is greater than ever in the history of our world, ever. And let me tell you, no education, horrible economics, and no hope, 
That is the breeding ground for extremism. And ISIS 5.0 is coming. And if we don't do something soon, it will affect the whole world, not just be isolated in that region. Absolutely. And I... I see, I see the reasons people join. And again, this is sort of where I think a lot of the narrative that we see here in the West isn't quite the full picture because we usually just see they're joining for some sort of religious extremist reason. And, and what I found was that it's a reason, but it's not the reason. So there are many factors as to why people join these groups. And it's not necessarily that they're, in fact, I found the ideology part of it was actually quite far down on the list. Often it was that basic necessity. You are, you know, a, a poor, um, a poor person living outside of Mosul, trying to support a family, and ISIS comes in and takes over the bakery you work in. What are you going to do? You can't quit the job at the bakery and run away. Suddenly, it's like you have to just take a paycheck from a different person, and that involves pledging allegiance. And that's not to say that you're sort of necessarily part of that, but it's, uh, yes, you're doing the wrong thing and joining, but you're also trying to support a family. And I think it's very simplistic, this idea that we take that, oh, well, you should just be able to say no and walk away. And it's, it's just not the reality for people that don't have education or don't have opportunities or quite frankly, have nowhere to go. So I think we have to look at the reasons as to why a lot of people are joining these groups. And it's not just as simple as, as trying to say that it's only extremism because there are so many factors that do go into it. I also think that in any country, people look at, at the government and say, well, why are all these people, you know, there's corruption. Why are they living in these big gilded cages? And why am I, you know, can't even pay for two chickens? So people look at that and they get angry and they get pissed off and suddenly they are wanting to be part of this kind of revolution. And that's often how it is sold to them. So I just think there are just so many factors that aren't necessarily uh, about sort of me against the world. Yeah, it's... I love your, what we call thick data, you know, in the intelligence world where thin data, even for think tanks is just speculation where thick data is actually boots on the ground. You know it because you see it and you talk to people and find out the truth. Now, uh, again, in those environments and conditions, one thing that has happened uh, and we saw in, in the violent uprising of ISIS is women being captured and sold into sex slavery. What was your experience and understanding of kind of wrapping your mind around ISIS capturing young women and making them sex slaves? I mean, it was pretty, it's pretty horrific. And just the mass scale. I mean, when ISIS went into Sinjar Mountain, that was in August 2014, and they just just captured thousands, you know, any girl or woman that they could possibly get, they got. And it was just terrific. Um, and there are still thousands missing today. And, and it's, it's, it, the numbers are mind blowing, but what I found to be very extraordinary, and I've worked on the issue of, of rape as a weapon of war and, and sexual violence in war zones. And it's as old as time. And it happens in, you know, virtually every conflict in every part of the world. And there is absolutely no excuse for it. And I just, I hope that that change happens in that front. But what I found with the Yazidi community, which was truly extraordinary, was it was really the first time that I'd seen a group 
be so open about what had happened to them. And so many of the women that had been violated and survived and were being rescued were coming out and speaking about what had happened. And this is a very closed culture. This is a very taboo subject. I mean, you can't have any sort of relations outside the Yazidi community, um, you know, as it is, let alone, you know, in this world where a girl's virginity is sort of everything. And the fact that they were had the sort of the, the bravery essentially just to come out and, and tell, tell their stories and in so many different ways, because they believe that in telling the stories that the perpetrators would be brought to justice or that somehow it was going to make a difference in the large scheme of things that this wouldn't happen to other groups of women again. And I just, I saw this sort of shattering of taboos that was really extraordinary that I hadn't, hadn't quite seen on that scale uh, before. And I, and, and for their sake, I just, I hope that it makes a difference. And I hope that we can use the knowledge and, and, and what happened to them to stop this kind of thing from going forward because it's, it's a genocide essentially. And it, it just, it's so prevalent. And yet it's looked at as being sort of a lesser crime. And even in Iraq, the Iraqi government is prosecuting terrorists for being terrorists, but they sort of look at the sexual violent aspect of it. And there aren't charges there because they sort of look at it and say, well, why would we charge them for that? We're already charging them for terrorism. And that's more important. But it is a distinction with a difference because we start, we have to start naming this stuff in order to stop it. And I think that is where um, I, I just... I hope that sort of the international community can play a bigger role in that going forward. Yeah. What people don't understand how horrific this is. Imagine your teenage daughter uh, or teenage girl being kidnapped, then being raped, then being forced to marriage and then having a child. And after three, four, five years, uh, they're liberated, rescued, freed, then united with their children who they were separated from but they couldn't go back to their town their little town or city because the people there would kill them because they had a child from a, a muslim or an isis father this is the reality for most and this is why when we seek to help Yazidis or those that have been held captive or had children, they really are widows and orphans. And for us, we follow the Christian faith, uh, and yet we're not against anyone else of any other faith. Uh, we look at people with character and integrity and morals and values. And our Bible says uh, it's important for us to take care of widows and orphans. And these really are widows and orphans. So how did you process that reality as a young woman reporting going, oh, my gosh, this is atrocity upon atrocity upon atrocity? Yeah, and it's still a really challenging thing for me. And I, I am working on a project now that's specifically related to sexual violence. So I am sort of on a daily basis, often talking to, to women in all parts of the world and to men as well that have uh, been through this themselves or had a loved one go through this. And, and it is, it's just such a, honestly, it, it really is a helpless thing because people sort of sharing the stories with you. And, and, and for me, I think there's a lot of guilt because I, I can't really do much about it other than try to tell the story and do justice to the story. And, and that is my role in, in life at the, you know, at least at the moment. And I, but there, there's still the guilt that comes with 
of being not being able to kind of do more in the sense of of trauma healing or, or any sort of specific uh, medical help for for these people but i don't know that i think when you're exposed to those things there's no there's no real way that you ever you know can go back to the person you were before that because i don't think there's ever really a way to to really process it and i you have to compartmentalize to a degree i think um, but I don't know that you ever get to a point, or at least I have not got to a point where uh, it's acceptable or that I can see it as normal or that um, I don't think about it. And I, I remember meeting a woman and she was running from the Congo and she was trying to get into a refugee camp in Kenya and she'd been raped and had a child and then that child was then being hunted and then she was continuing to be hunted even inside a refugee camp. And it was just this layer upon layer. And I just, I remember looking at her and I think her story was just so jarring to me that it was probably the first time in my career that I had that just very numb feeling where there was just so much to process that I couldn't process anything. And that's really after that's when I realized I needed, I needed to take a break. Um, you know, and, and take a couple of months off and go home and and try not to immerse myself too much in in the heavy stuff. But but again, it's that resilience. And you just look at this. You know, I remember looking at this woman. Her name was Nancy, and I just remember just her resilience was so extraordinary to me. And you feel like you're just in the presence of of some sort of incredible superpower person because God knows, you know, if, if that had happened to me, how I would have been able to to cope with that. Agreed, hundred percent. I. I like to tell people I've seen too much. I've just seen too much. I know too much. And, you know, it, it is both a blessing and a curse because what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. And there are people who tuned in halfway through this and said, my gosh, who is just telling these extraordinary stories? You're listening to Holly McKay. And uh, she used to be a reporter, former New Fox News reporter. And, she has traveled the globe and she has seen the worst of what humanity has done, but yet she's still filled with hope. We love the wisdom that she has of self-care because sometimes there's a thing called compassion fatigue where you are too immersed in it for too long and it does get next to you and it takes a while to, to get perspective again. But uh, we are so thankful to have Holly McKay and you can find her at that hollymckay.com h-o-l-l-i-e-m-c-k-a-y you can find out more information about her hear more stories get a book that she's recently written go to hollymckay.com and we encourage you to we've talked about it and we're excited that she's going to be part of being an ambassador for ATP around the globe and we will give her a platform to share stories that matter and changes that we can affect in people's lives with your help, listening audience, those of you that follow and support us, because that will make her job all the more easier. Because it's one thing to see and it's another to report, but it is a great redemptive factor when somebody like Holly can contact ATP Ministries and say, can y'all provide this for this family or this child? Or there's a known bad person that should be held accountable and we're able to help facilitate justice in a way that not only redeems a person's life, 
a child, a mom, a family that was killed, but also protect others. Holly, we're, we're, we're again at the end of our time, but we asked two questions to every one of our guests. <laughs> we're, we're excited to ask you these questions. And folks, she doesn't know what they are, but we just tell you there's no wrong answer. Uh, so first, now you don't know us, we're, we're new in uh, our organization and this is our first time to visit, but what is your perception of ATP Ministries or my wife and I? Oh my goodness, I think you're both extraordinary. You know, it's, I think a lot of people, you know, have the heart and they want to go and do good things, but I think to actually kind of put A and B together in itself, um, that's what makes a, a person a, a walker, not a talker. And I think what you guys are doing is just extraordinary and it comes from such a deep place of love and, and care for the world. And I think that, um, you know, that's what we need. We need people such as yourself that are just going over there out of a place of love. Thank you. That's very kind. And uh, we, we do believe it's out of love. When we've been in some pretty tough spots, I mean, literally just out of, a battle where ISIS is shooting at us or, you know, high threat, horrible things happening. People would ask us, why are y'all here? You know, cause they're trying to wrap their mind around it. Why are y'all out here doing this? And we just simply tell them cause God loves us and we love y'all. He sends us. It's not any more complicated uh, than that. The second question we ask all of our guests and our guests come from of varied backgrounds. And that's why we love the variety and we celebrate the diversity, but we're all humans and we're all going to die. And one day Holly will close her eyes for the last time. So what happens? What is your belief? What do you think is going to happen when Holly passes? I don't know. I haven't given it a huge amount of thought. I think I'm very focused on my life now. Um, but I, I believe, you know, I guess I've always believed and when you're around earth a lot, um, for me, I think the thing that it's given me a lot of comfort ever since I was a little girl was this idea of, of sort of going back to a place before you were born. You know, we can often have sort of fear or uncertainty about, you know, what, what it is to, to go into a spiritual world and, and, you know, what, what comes after, after this particular life. And I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I just know that, there's some, there's something bigger than us. There's something there and there's some sort of very nurturing place that we existed before we came into this world. And that's sort of the place that we're going to go back to. I have to say, even in some of the most horrific sort of situations of, of seeing death, and again, this is in every case, but I've seen just some sort of remarkable peace come over people. Um, and so I think that's always for me something that I've I guess I've never feared it for that reason I think that there is something there that, that is going to give us the peace that we had before we were born and we will have it again oh, thank you for sharing that it's uh, you know we, we've been around death a lot as well and in my book even the video we, we can share you know we, we, we have the hope of heaven a place mm. of peace a place with no more tears we're all going to face that someday. So we, we just love to give people the hope of heaven, uh, 
you know, what we call our surety of salvation. And because uh, ultimately that's, we're all going to face it. But until then, thank you for doing what you do, huh? Thank you. And uh, we look forward to more getting updates from you, bringing you back on the program, hearing stories, following your journey, and giving you a platform, both on our radio program, podcast, and our daily intelligence brief. Uh, thank you again, and may God bless you richly. Thank you. Well, as we wrap up today, I want to say thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. And a big thank you to Holly McKay for being here these last two days. What incredible stories, insight, wisdom uh, that she's given us uh, from her perspective of traveling around the world, uh, both as a, a journalist and a heart for humanitarian work. I really did enjoy hearing your female perspective and a perspective of someone who's so highly esteemed and experienced as a journalist. I hope you felt the same way and, and that you had some good takeaways and key insights into what's been going on in the Middle East for years. If you want to get involved but really don't know how, I'll make this really easy for you. Head over to victormarks.com, click Donate. Uh, I get that you might have a desire to help but not be in a position to physically engage and be on a team, especially when you're talking about countries overseas. But by donating to an organization like ours, ATP, your support enables us to physically put boots on the ground and be the hands and feet of Jesus in some of these remote and very dangerous locations. So honestly, if God puts it on your heart, that website again is victormarks.com. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. And, and we'll catch you next time on the Victor Mark Show. So for wherever you are, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. Now go get it done. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.